So one of the things that is, uh, that can be very confusing about the scriptures, about the New Testament specifically, is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of Jesus as he was slowly revealing that he is the incarnate word of God. Because, how do you explain that quickly? That you're the word made flesh. I'm still struggling with it, and I have a master's of divinity and a degree in religious studies, and I've been a pastor for 17 years. And so Jesus is explaining it slowly to both his disciples, those that followed him, to the religious leaders of the time. John Calvin said that the book of John is the key that unlocks the lock of Matthew and Mark and Luke. And so the reason that's challenging is if you read Matthew, which I would encourage you to do, the gospel is alluded to more often than it's stated, especially early on, because Jesus is bringing along the disciples and he's bringing along those that happen to follow him. So what we know about the gospel then informs a text like the one I'm going to read in just a minute. It's one that our culture knows very well, though they usually don't quote the whole thing. It's a teaching that we understand immediately because we don't like it in other people, especially And if we're honest, I think we don't like it in ourselves. It's a a teaching against hypocrisy or about hypocrisy and what we do about it. The reason I introed that way about what can be challenging and or confusing about the scriptures is now that we know the gospel, that because of Jesus, you and I are reconciled to God, that God loves us and likes us and sin is a huge problem That's a summary of a lot of biblical texts. Let's just say sin's a huge problem. The work of Christ reconciles us, gives us eternal life and an indwelling Holy Spirit. Because of that, we turn to Matthew chapter 7, and here's what it tells us. You do not have to live out of your false self anymore. The world and perhaps your own mind and your upbringing or circumstances would convince you that you need to put out a glittering image. You need to tell your story a certain way. You need to be this funny or this successful or this smart. And it's a lie. And it's very difficult to live in the truth, which is you're made very specifically in the image of God. And following Jesus is a death to self that we might come fully alive to who God truly made us to be. When we know that we're loved, when we know that our sin is atoned for, paid for, we sang about it at the beginning of the morning, then we move to a place of freedom And freedom in Christ is always from and into. We are freed from, in a cosmic and eternal sense, the penalty of sin. We're freed from eternal death, but we're freed into new life. What Jesus is getting at in Matthew 7 is we're freed from the false self into who we truly are. You have skills and gifts and have been through circumstances and are even now in circumstances that are and will be a blessing to the neighbors in your life. And when we are given the strength by the Holy Spirit to stop 
trying so hard to impress people. Stop trying so hard to be someone different than who we are. We're freed into our true self. Now, the way that our glittering image pops up is through our hypocrisy. We don't see it coming. We don't realize it. And then we're telling a story and we're exaggerating it a little bit. Or maybe worse, people are talking and we have skills or knowledge for the situation and we don't insert them because we're nervous that people would think we're a hypocrite when we're actually very, very knowledgeable. On Friday and Saturday, many skilled people built that sound booth. And uh, there were multiple times where there were skilled jobs in place there, and I didn't say anything because I'm, I'm, for a pastor, I'm pretty darn good. But compared to some of the men in this church, not that handy. But then when we start plugging stuff in, when we're talking HDMI and coaxial and power and 4 by 3 ratio, well, I have something to offer. I don't have to pretend that I don't know anything. But it would have been hypocritical to say, Jamie, give me that T-square. I'll, I'll do whatever you do with a square. <laughs> That's outing myself in terms of knowledge. This gospel text that you have heard before, because it's quoted often, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, especially at Christians, is actually about you and I are called to shed our glittering image. In the early 2000s, when I was a youth pastor, um, I heard multiple authors and speakers reference this book that I think was written in the 70s called Glittering Images. It's a novel. Some of you might have read it. Some of you might not have. It's a very disorienting novel. I'm not positive I recommend it. And she says the phrase Glittering Images maybe a few more times than I would have thought. Like, it's the title. I get it. That's the theme. Anyway. But the point is that we have this tendency, this inclination, sometimes crushing, to present to the world a glittering image of ourself and not our true self. I was listening to um, a Franciscan writer, speaker, author named Richard Rohr, and he said if he has one issue with the Apostle Paul, he's old enough, he doesn't mind if people are bothered by that. If he has one issue with the Apostle Paul, it's that he uses the word sarks in Romans chapter 7. I don't know if you're familiar with Romans chapter 7. It's like a tongue twister about the reality of being a human, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, where he's basically saying, I go back and forth and back and forth between my heart and what I actually do. And what Richard War says is that I wish that the Apostle Paul would have said the false self, which is part of the definition of flesh in that chapter. You're like, I don't, you said a Greek word in there. I've been lost ever since. Let me say it one more time. The gospel of Jesus not only frees us from sin and death, it frees us from thinking we need to project or even can successfully project a false self to the world. It frees us into being ourselves, made in the image of God, called by God with a role of loving him and the neighbors we find ourselves in relationship with. What does that look like? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounced, you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is, a, when there is the log in your own eye? 
Isn't it amazing how compelling of a teacher Jesus was? Like his words totally work 2,000 years later. I love that. And then in verse 5, you hypocrite. Can you hear love incarnate saying that? I said it kind of caustically on purpose. Stop and imagine love incarnate, love enfleshed, a man who has never sinned, lovingly stating to those that were following God and learning from him as a teacher, you hypocrites. It's a word of caution. It's a word of interpretation. It's a word of freedom. That's how broken the world is, how hard it is for us to hear a tone of voice of love incarnate saying that. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. We are called to look at every human we come into contact with, every single one, and remember that they're made in the image of God. And we are called into a community, a gathering, where we love one another well, where we speak into one another's lives about blind spots, opportunities for love missed, and times that we hurt one another. And we get to own it, and we get to notice that it hurts, but it hurts a lot less than knowing being willing to tell us how we could grow up a little bit. Have you heard this formulation that what we do with one another is we learn to love with grace and truth? You heard this, a grace and truth. If it's just grace, we're enabling. If it's just truth, we're bullying. If it's just grace, we seem really kind, but it's not actually kind to tell someone who's hurt us that it was okay. Oh, no, it's okay. Have you ever said that and you get like a knot in your, in your chest or in your stomach? For some reason, I used to get like knots here and now they're here. Is that an old, older age thing? Like, I've had that sometimes. Where I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. And not forms, because I'm lying. What I should say is, thank you. It's so hard for me to say that when someone apologizes to me. Thanks. It did sting a little. I love you. It's okay. Like, our relationship's okay. See, I said it. <laughs> I didn't even mean to. Uh, we're called to love God and one another, but the one anothering is with grace and with truth, with gentleness, but also with honesty with clarity and mercy, giving the benefit of the doubt that their circumstances and mentoring and how they got to the place that they did that might make you feel very sympathetic to it and how they treated you. Didn't go that well. One of my first uh, times that someone called me out when I got to the barn was at B for switching times of the meeting. And this one of our more significant leaders and about 50 of you are about to like, because <clears throat> I've done the same thing with you. I'm bad at the calendar. I'm sorry. You're supposed to say, I forgive you. It's not okay, but we're okay. Something like that. But what the friend said was, you know, when you switch our time on the calendar, I don't feel the love. And I was so thankful because I know the person cares about me. They're correcting me. It didn't feel good that I had hurt them. But you know what feels a lot better than avoiding pain is growing up with people that are willing to be honest. Jesus is creating a new community, an ecclesia, 
a gathering. You know, if we go outside, this is not the church. We are the church. This is an octagon, and it's beautiful. I love it. Sound booth looks amazing. Great job, Joseph. Gosh, you've worn a lot of hats. We had elder prayer this morning. Joseph built the sound booth. He led the prayers today. Thank you. That's not in my notes. You can't applaud him, though. Jesus is in Matthew chapter 7 and before that and certainly after that and the rest of the New Testament creating a new community, a gathering of men and women who because of the love of God love him and learn to love one another. All throughout the New Testament we learn to one another, one another, which is real messy. And it's going to involve some hypocrisy. So what do we do in this new community? I think we need to learn to own our hypocrisy. I, there's a place in my notes that has more blank around it than the rest of it, and it's because I, I can remember hearing pastor after pastor formulate this when I would listen to other people's sermons and the pastors that I've served under in the future. And What do you think when you hear people say Christians are such hypocrites? My interpreter, my hermeneutics professor is rhetorical, sorry. You can tell me later. Email me, of course. It's fine. <laughs> my hermeneutics professor said, yeah, the church is the best place for them, and I kind of liked that. Sometimes I hear people say it, and I think they're totally off base. It's totally illegitimate. Other times I hear them say it, and I'm like, yeah, we kind of earned that one. What do you think? I, I think I have two thoughts about the reality of this text, which is implying that we will tend towards hypocrisy and that the gospel frees us into our true selves. Hypocrisy is the false self I was talking about earlier. Hypocrisy is the mask that we put on. Hypocrisy is the imposter that attempts to convince you that you're to convince others things that are not true. And it'll be worth it. I think there are two things about this, that, two conclusions I've come to. One, it's, I think it's a human thing to tend towards hypocrisy. The other thing is that what we have in common, even those of you that are considering the gospel of Jesus, not yet sure whether you want to follow him, by the way, thanks for being sincere and for letting some of us know about that. We're so glad you're here. Others of you that are following Jesus, the only thing I'm confident we have in common is some sense of our need. So those of us that are followers of Jesus, we know our need and we've turned to him and trusted him with our heart and with our decisions. Those of us that are considering the gospel of Jesus, part of the reason you're considering is you know you need more. More peace in your heart, more direction and guide in your life. So one of the reasons that churches often act hypocritically is you get 200 people in a room that the only thing they have in common is need. Well, it's just not always going to go well. You know what I'm saying? So I think one of the things we do is own our hypocrisy. But, but regardless of that, what we really need to notice is the gospel, Jesus' love incarnate brings up our tendency toward hypocrisy because love that indwells us through the Holy Spirit frees us from it. Isn't that great news? That your glittering image can be set down? If you're in junior high and high school and you're popular, I don't think you're going to do any work about this, but isn't it wonderful news to know that you don't have to work that hard at it? 
If you are avoiding popularity and you're successfully like navigating between the two, how much work that requires to actually like not be picked on, but you're not in the popular group, like you're in the middle, you swim in the middle, which I sort of did kind of obnoxiously. Somehow I was obnoxious and steered around as a kid. The good news of Jesus is that's exhausting and you don't have to do it. Doesn't mean the world won't punish you for it. It does mean it's worth it to set down your glittering image. Or maybe you're the picked on one. There's no glittering image. You're fully known, liked, loved, accepted, found, forgiven, and freed because of Jesus Christ. Because God the Father loves you and likes you. I used to use this illustration a lot. I haven't in a while. And I love it. God thinks you're funny. Not like the bad funny. One of my children will not tolerate me saying she's funny. I'm like, no, the words were funny. That was a good joke. I'm not funny. But that was, you were laughing. How many of you felt like God doesn't get your sense of humor? Or not God, sorry. Others don't get your sense of humor. You've not been understood in your own time as a funny person. God gets your sense of humor. He absolutely does. Yes, that's my interpretation of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, that we're tempted towards hypocrisy. We can lay down our hypocrisy and be free into who we truly are. And I think you're probably funnier than the rest of us give you credit for. You got a good laugh out of that one, Brian. Maybe you are understood in your own time. This doesn't mean when we're owning our hypocrisy, it doesn't mean we have to say we're sorry every time. We can express, and it's good to express sympathy. It doesn't mean you need to ask forgiveness for things you haven't done. Someone comes to you and they accuse you of something you didn't do. You don't need to say, you don't need to offer forgiveness. But the root of what they're concerned about in you is probably far worse than they know. You know what I'm saying? Uh, at my former church, there's an elder. He was the only gray-haired elder we have. Very blessed to have a little bit more seasoned church. And he had a falling out with a friend who called him out on some of his issues. And he wrote his friend a letter, and he said, years ago you called me out and we haven't been friends since, and you actually don't know the half of it. That's what it means to own our hypocrisy. It's not an easy thing to do, but the alternative is to take up the glittering image and exhaust ourselves in trying to live out of our false self. We have the attitude of, you don't know the half of it. My tendency to miss opportunities to love. My tendency is to hurt others. You said I could only do it, one of my friends said I could only do it once. Go ahead, Nathan. <laughs> I think the gathering of Jesus' followers is freed into our true, are freed into our true selves and we have the opportunity to own our hypocrisy with one another. And that is not the sweet, that does not taste sweet on my tongue to tell it to you but it is actually sweet in light of the reality of being a human being and trying to do life with others, any others, perhaps especially followers of Jesus. 
Jesus creates a new community where we own our hypocrisy and still move towards one another. And to move towards one another, to be willing to go there, to be willing to talk to one another about our blind spots, when our false self is uncovered, when the imposter is uncovered by a friend, the gospel must be present or it will go horribly wrong. When my friend confronted me about being bad at managing my calendar, I had a defensiveness in my being, right? What frees us from that defensiveness is the knowledge that we're loved. It sounds like an extension because it is, right, in the moment. Like, how do I remember that I'm loved? By reminding myself that I'm loved. But when my friend calls me out that way, if I know that I'm loved by the Father through the work of the Son freed and have the indwelling Holy Spirit, I can receive that criticism and ask for their forgiveness. And then we can try and do better in relationship. When I was an intern at uh, Riverside Church, I got to do something very, very cool. We had a big office and no church building, and so we turned our office into an art gallery, nonprofit art gallery. It was super fun. Except for the time that we got bad wine. That was not fun. But, and my boss at the time, uh, his name was Phil Woods, he was giving me some latitude with this idea, and um, I overspent the budget a little bit for the lighting for the nonprofit gallery. But it's worse. I tried to hide it from him by covering the difference myself. And so he, you know, he sat me down in his office and he said, uh, you can't spend your own money on this. You can't overspend the budget. That's mistake number one. You should have talked to me. I probably would have okayed it, but we would have had a conversation. And two, you can't do that. This is a family. We do things together. It's not your responsibility to take this on. That's a mistake, and you need to know that that's not how we do things around here. He's willing to go there with me. He's willing to move towards me and help me grow up. And here's the really cool thing. It didn't sting. You know why it didn't sting? It's because two years before that, there were some other people in the church who were against me, and Phil defended me. And so then when he was criticizing me, rightly, by the way, for two different things, it didn't sting. You're like, what does this have to do with hypocrisy? What does this have to do with the false self? When the gospel of Jesus frees us to own our hypocrisy, to continue to move towards one another, to be honest and gentle about love, real friendship is possible. Humility, it's a risk. It's such a risk. Some of you are like, "Uh uh-huh, it's a risk. I've tried before and been burned. It's a risk. Because of the very thing Jesus is teaching us to lay down our false selves, it's a risk, and yet it's possible. I want to tell you to risk here, but I know some of you have, and it hasn't gone well, and I hope that you've told the person that was really hard for me giving them an opportunity to say, you don't know the half of it. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I was wondering if you remembered. And man, some of you have been here a long time, and you're like, I got to have 37 conversations after this. Gosh. It's an imperfect place full of imperfect people who, as far as I can tell, believe this. Do it imperfectly, but believe this. We own it as best we can, and then we move towards one another. Parents, 
we often shy away from parenting because of this text and how much it speaks to our hearts. And what I mean is, you see your child on a road that you know is destructive, but you made the same bad choices. Parents, still parent. Don't need to lie to your children and say you didn't make any mistakes, but you still parent them. It goes for us too. One of the most humbling, regular parts of my life is repenting to the other elders on our elder board. I roughly think I've repented to 82% of them in my four and a half years here. They're the couple that we just haven't had enough conversations yet. And one of the reasons that we end up having to have a long conversation is I'll call them out for something and we'll realize later I was being a little bit hypocritical with it. We didn't even realize it in the moment. And then we have to have a longer conversation. It sounds not worth it to you. You're like, this sounds so tiring. The alternative is to live in your false self. And that's the only thing more tiring than being willing and able because of the gospel of Jesus to go there with one another. It takes wisdom. There's a pace to it. You know, some of us are ready to conflict right then. Most of us are not. By the way, all of this is from Jesus saying, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus creates a new community where we own our hypocrisy, where we still move towards one another, with wisdom and without stopping. What I want, to, I want to tweak that a little. With wisdom, asking the Lord to help us pace that conversation. If somebody offended you this morning, you might not be ready to talk to them. The hardest sermon application I can ever remember hearing is you're ready to confront someone when you've stopped having conversations with them in your head. And I'm like, well, that means some people I'll never be mature enough. You know what Matthew 18 would tell me? I need some help figuring that out. I need to find a trusted person to help me unpack that a little bit and perhaps go. That's not all that Matthew 18 says, but with wisdom and at the right pace. Because I think on a, in a human level and an organizational level, for sure, the only thing worse than being confronted is not being confronted. Because then we're just left to our false selves. We're left to the glittering image, the imposter. It takes so much work to hold up and try and convince people, and we're probably not that successful anyway. But what worries me are actually those of us that are good at projecting the imposter. That's the day-to-day good news part of this for our community. The real good news is that there is a real gospel. The Jesus of Nazareth taught this. Then he predicted his own death and resurrection, and it happened. So then we go back from the end of Matthew to chapter 7, and we're like, does that mean that I will tend towards hypocrisy, but the gospel will free me to be my true self? Yes. That's what it means. That is sweet and good news. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, would you help us because we have been hurt because of the reality and the 
accuracy of your teaching, we have been hurt. And yet you call us by love into love. By your love, we are freed to love you and one another, and we need help. It is risky. We need wisdom. So we're asking for your help. You tell us to ask boldly. We are asking boldly. Help us, Holy Spirit. Love you and love one another. Help us to own the places of hypocrisy without shame. Heal us, Lord, and help us. Thank you for this gathering of Jesus' followers that has been here for 50-some years proclaiming that your good news is, in fact, good news. Freed from sin and death and our false selves into life with you. Holy Spirit, bless us with the sense of your presence. Help us indeed to surrender all to you knowing that you give back exponentially greater measure than we can realize. You give us our true, glorious, made-in-your-image selves. Jesus, remind us that you love us, that you like us, that we're found and forgiven and freed because of your work and your love. Amen.